wanted to speak from the floor this morning. Uh, just to look, if we're going to talk about close, intimate family things, and why not just kind of physically represent that with being a little bit closer to you as I, as I speak. And so I wanted to just, I was a little more comfortable as I thought about it being from the floor rather than from the platform uh, here uh, this morning. I want to kind of frame your thoughts for the next six hours with something that I was talking about with a couple of you beforehand. What we're doing today is different than what you might expect at a parenting conference. Um, I want you to think about parenting not so much as parenting. I know that sounds really odd, and I'll get going here in a minute. Um, but, but to think about parenting in a broader context. Parenting is not an end to itself, and it's not really a topic that you can discuss by itself, in my, in my opinion. Parenting is, from a Christian perspective, is simply an application of a broader philosophy of life. It is a broader, it's an application of what it means to be a Christian and, and how you live out your Christian life. Your parenting is simply an aspect of the broader nature of Christian living, of being a follower of Christ, of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you see that and understand it from the start, then you're in a much better position, in my opinion, to, to parent well. Rather, and, and parenting no longer becomes a matter of, of simply making your children into what you want them to be, but rather it's an application of your devotion to Christ. It's, a, it's an aspect of your devotion to Christ who, as we saw last night, has loved you with an eternal, sovereign, great, infinite, sacrificial love. And so your parenting is an overflow of your response to Christ, not something that is viewed in isolation. And there's a very, very simple point. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6 for our hour this morning, if you want to be turning there. But there is a very, very simple point that will help you, uh, help you see this. One of those things that, uh, that just jumps out when it's pointed out to you that otherwise you might forget. The, the verse on parenting that we're going to consider here in this hour, Ephesians chapter 4, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now that's, that's a crucial verse on parenting. But what I want you to see is that when you're thinking through parenting, you should recognize this. Ephesians, this verse on parenting comes in chapter 6. It doesn't come in chapter 1 or even chapter 2, 3, 4, or 5. There is a whole context, a whole explanation of the work of God and the application of the work of God to sinners like you and me that takes place in Paul's mind that he lays out before you ever get to a verse on parenting. And so in my opinion, it is a serious mistake to simply jump into Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 and start talking about parenting because to do that is to divorce it from everything else that came beforehand. Now last night we tried to take one aspect of what came before is in dealing with the, the nature of the love of God for us and that's so crucial to everything that Paul says throughout Ephesians well, we're standing, as we come to chapter 6, verse 4, we're standing on the foundation of the things that came before. The love of God, the work of God to save you from your sin. And to recognize that is to realize that your parenting is occurring in the context of a much greater work of God that he has done in your life. And I think that as we go through the rest of this day, those things will come together. So what we're doing today broadly over the next six hours is, is this, is that we are, we are reviewing, maybe for some of you for the first time seeing, 
what, a, a, what I would call a, a Christian approach to all of life is, a Christian philosophy of life. And in that, we will see how parenting fits. If you have a perspective, let, let, me, let me put it this way. This introductory stuff is just so important. If you are approaching parenting from the perspective as a Christian, that God has loved you with that kind of eternal love that we talked about last night. And, as we'll see in the next hour, that God is in providential control of everything that happens in the world and in your life down to the smallest of details. And if, as you see in our last session here this, uh, today, what it means to trust God like that, then that's going to inform everything that you do in parenting. And it is going to free you from the temptation, the, the varied temptations of parenting, either to be apathetic and indifferent or to be excessively manipulative toward your children or to be highly anxious about how your children are turning out. You're, if, if you understand the providence and trusting God, then you're going to learn to trust him even for your children, even when they're sick, even when they're rebellious even when they're not turning to Christ. You're going to have a context for all of that that will inform how you interact with them. If you don't have that context, then you're left with kind of human manipulation and human concerns that are going to take you into a different direction. So that's what we want to approach things with here today. But I thought that I owed it to everybody to at least have one uh, message that was specifically about parenting, since it is a parenting conference. If I simply talked about other issues, uh, you know, you might be asking for your money back, and then Mark's going to come and look to me to uh, refund that, and I didn't want to go there at all. So let's talk about parenting just a little bit here this, uh, this morning in this session. Now, I think that it's fair to say that in any Christian circles that you would move in, you would find that we all share carnal tendencies about parenting to one degree or another, and that shows themselves in different ways. When I say carnal, I mean fleshly, human-motivated, relying on human resources, as opposed to viewing parenting through the perspective of trusting God. So that some parents, and this may get we may get into each other's kitchen uh, here over the next few minutes with what I'm about to say. Some parents want a checklist. Tell me what to do, and tell me what to do at every stage of life. There were, there were materials from many years ago, and I guess there always are, but, parent, that, but that just give you checklists of how to deal with your infant and how to deal with your toddler and how to deal with your young child and your teenager and just, and just give you all kinds of lists and checklists. Biblical counseling will do this to you in a way that I don't think is healthy if in some circles. And so the parents are conditioned to think that if I just keep the checklist, I've done my job. And, and they don't have any real interest in the principles of the heart or cultivating the heart of their child. They just want some kind of external uh, source that tells them that you've done what you were supposed to do. And we'll talk about that more a little bit later, I guess. Others are not really interested. I'm not talking about any of you. I don't know how any of you parent, except for my wife, and she's heard me say, talk about these things before. So I'm not addressing this to anything that I know about any of you. We're talking in general principles. Some parents, even professing Christians, are not really interested in the spiritual growth of their children. And it shows, by, and it shows in the, the activities that they funnel their kids toward and that what they shape their lives around, and athletics and all of that kind of stuff, really driving what the family does instead of the things of the, things of the Lord. And as a result of that, they're too busy with activity during the week. And if, if, if the kids stay off drugs and don't get pregnant, then their parenting is successful because the kids haven't embarrassed them uh, before the community or before the church, right? I see some of you nodding your heads, and you understand that, that kind of thinking. 
Well, this is not, that is not Christian parenting at all. That's simply trying to protect your pride. Now, at the other end, at the other end, there are parents who forget the sovereignty and the goodness of God. And they think that the salvation of their children depends on how they parent. And that if they can just parent in a particular way and and they do the right things, that they can guarantee the outcome that their child will be in Christ and that their child will be a Christian and they can rest in that. Well, that's not true. You cannot guarantee the salvation of your children any more than you can guarantee the salvation of anyone else. God is the only one who can save the soul of your child. Salvation belongs to the Lord, Jonah chapter 2 verse 9 says. And so we need to be mindful of the fact that while we want to aspire to be faithful in our parenting, we cannot guarantee how our children are going to come out. Sometimes godly parents have ungodly children, and it is wrong to attribute and to impugn bad parenting to them when that happens. And so we just need to be mindful of these kinds of things. So, as we're thinking about Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 here this morning, against that spectrum, that spectrum of indifference, and just content with externals to an obsession with the salvation of your children, the word of God speaks with stunning brevity and with stunning clarity. And, you know, I have a particular parenting curriculum that was popular in in our circles 25 years ago with what I'm saying. But, you know, you can have, you know, there, there are, you can get fine books and spiral-bound material that are just inches thick telling you what to do in parenting. And for whatever value those things have, I want you to make a very simple observation as we come to this text. Look at how brief and how succinct Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 is. Let's read it together. Paul, the Apostle Paul, found it sufficient in, his, in this broad letter of, of the Ephesians to say this about parenting. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's all he says. And then in verse 5, he goes on and he talks about slaves and masters, and he moves on, and his, actually his instructions to slaves is far broader and and more extensive than his instructions to parents are. Now, why does that matter here this morning with what we're talking about here? I want to encourage you when you're thinking about parenting is to be mindful of not making it too complicated, not making it so complex that, that you get all tied up into knots about the different checklists that people try to give to you. Beloved, there's, there's a really important point here that, that we need to remember. The Bible declares for itself that it is sufficient for everything spiritual. The, the 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says that all scripture is inspired by God for many, for many reasons, but it's so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And in Psalm 19, it says the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Well, Scripture declares that that everything that's necessary for a godly life is found within its pages. Now, the other books and the you know some of the practical applications, those things have their place. But what I want you to see is that the the principles of Scripture are brief, they're simple, they're clear, and that frees you from a lot of baggage. If you think about David and Goliath. At first, David they put on Saul's armor onto David, and he was and he was supposed to go out in battle with all of this armor on. He said, "I can't fight him with this. This is this is too heavy. It's too much." And so he dropped all of the armor. He took a slingshot and five stones, and he slew the giant. And sometimes simplicity is better than the complexity that is sometimes given to us by people who suggest that maybe they've got answers that everybody else has missed. Well, I don't accept that. I I like to just look at Scripture and keep it simple. Now, 
So with that, all of that perspective in mind, let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, men, he says fathers. He doesn't say parents, but he uses specifically the word fathers and in a unique way makes the fathers accountable for the spiritual condition of their home. It's the father that has the authority in the home. And so scripture gives a particular kind of accountability to the father in the things that are said here. Now, the principles apply equally to mothers, and so, so we don't want to suggest that the mothers are exempt from what we're going to say here, but men, you have, a, you have an elevated accountability before God for the spiritual condition of your home. As a practical matter, the mother is often the one who has more time and even has more influence, but the man is the one that is held accountable in a unique particular way. And so we want to be mindful of that as we consider what we're going forward with here now. And the first thing that I want to point out to you from this verse is the realm of parenting. That's your first point if you want to write, if you're taking notes, and I see that many of you are. The realm of parenting. And the realm of parenting teaches you to focus on the scope of parenting. And this kind of fits in with what I was saying in my introduction here. Parenting is a comprehensive way of life. It is not a compartment of your adulthood. And there's a basic point of grammar that helps us see this. There are two commands in the text. It says there in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. That's command number one, a negative command, a prohibition. Secondly, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Both of those commands are emphasizing ongoing action. This is a pattern of life command that Paul is giving. Patterns that speak about the nature of life during the course of a day and even over the course of years. And Paul no doubt had something in his mind from the book of Deuteronomy as he considered parenting. And if you'd go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, I think this is such a helpful perspective on parenting. I go here often in my own mind and in my teaching, I guess you could say. But look at Ephesians, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. This is Moses speaking to the children of Israel before they enter into the promised land. Moses would not accompany them on that journey. So this is his last sermon to Israel, and he's giving them a sense of what life should be like as they live under the authority of God in the promised land. In chapter 6, verse 4, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Now stop there for just a moment and realize that Moses is approaching this in the same way that we were pointing out earlier. He's about, in verse 7, to talk about parenting, but that is prefaced with that what comes before verse 7 is this command to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. He doesn't go directly into parenting. He says you need to consider things from a vertical perspective, know who God is, know his exclusivity, and respond to him with a a full-throated, full-hearted love and affection toward him that manifests itself in life life obedience. He says you love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And so, in a sense, he's giving them, he's given them the first few chapters of Ephesians, if I can put it that way, before he gets to Ephesians 6 and what he has to say about parenting. I think that's just a very, very vital point. Look, you cannot bypass your own personal godliness 
the cultivation of your own personal faith and still be an effective Christian parent. It starts with your own faith, with your own response to God, with your own heart affections toward him. And if that is not at the core of your parenting, then there's no reason really to talk about anything else. But if that's present, then you come to verse 7 and you see what Moses said about the words that he was commanding to them today. In verse 7 he says, You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. One other verse in chapter 11 of Deuteronomy, verse 19. Deuteronomy 11, verse 19 and, and actually start in verse 18. It's just very impressive the way that Scripture is consistent in its approach on these things we've been talking about this morning. In verse 18, he says, You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. He says, Take my word and impress it on your heart. He doesn't bypass to go directly to the next generation. He says, you apply this to yourself. You know this. You believe this. You obey this. You respond to God with the affections of your heart. Then, he says in verse 19, you shall teach them to your sons, talking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise up. Don't ever forget the sequence. You apply this to your own heart and then consider what you're doing with your children. So, with that, with those things said, what I want to point out from Deuteronomy 6, 7 and this verse here is, it, is, it, is just the very obvious point that, that this is talking about a, a lifestyle. When you lie down, when you sit, when you walk along the way, The pattern of Scripture is more than a short devotional time of dealing with your family and communicating faith in a a devotional time, whatever value those might have. It's incidental to the more comprehensive realization that parenting is an approach to your interaction with children on a 24-7 basis. Scripture is picturing parents, believing parents, engaging in some kind of ongoing dialogue with their children that is rooted in the character of God, Deuteronomy 6.4, the Lord God is one, and your own love for him, verses 5 through 6. And so the character of God and your love for him and then outflows the nature of parenting. You're asking questions, the children are answering, asking questions, there's answering, there's this back and forth aspect to it. And so in the context of that kind of ongoing dialogue, just in the ordinary course of life, you are patiently, repeatedly teaching your children a response of repentance, from sin and faith in Christ and the duty and obligation that we have to obey the Lord in response to that. The point here, first point, was the realm of parenting. And to just make this very plain and direct for those of you that like clear notes, the realm of parenting is the natural course of life. As you are going through life with your children, When they wake up in the morning, as you're going through the day, when you come home from work at night, that is the realm of parenting. It's it's the whole nature of life in which the discipleship of your children is playing out. And that, I believe, is the most most fundamental observation that you could make about parenting. Now... That presupposes something very important, men and moms, that I believe to be true based on my brief but very sweet interactions with 
you in the brief time that we've had together here, it presupposes something that I believe that's already true about you. It presupposes that you know Christ. It presupposes that, that you love Christ and that you want to follow Christ and that you want to be someone who is pleasing in the eyes of the one who gave his life for you. It presupposes that. You see, you cannot be a Christian parent and you cannot conduct Christian parenting unless you yourself have humbly repented of sin and re received Christ for your salvation. There's no reason to talk, it's for, for somebody to have no interest in the things of God but want to raise their children in a Christian way is to miss the entire point of it all. And so it presupposes that you yourself are a Christian, but it also presupposes something else that's very important. This presupposes that you yourself are walking with Christ, that you are, that you are seeking Christ, that you are pursuing Christ with your life. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9 and I suppose that if I were going to follow the sequence, I should have brought this up earlier in the notes, but I didn't. So we get it here. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Notice that this presupposes the things on parenting that we saw in chapter 6. It, it precedes. It doesn't presuppose. It precedes the things on parenting that we saw from chapter 6 and chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen. And they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. I think the scriptures have made its point here, right? That it starts with the way that you yourself are living life in the presence of God. And that's why these things of sovereign love and sovereign providence and trusting God are the context in which parenting takes place. And so I'd like to make this point with what I'm about to say. And this is going to, this is going to sting some of you, I suspect. But if it does, we all need the sting. Fathers, mothers, if, if you're, and I'm speaking with a lot of precision here, so follow every word that I say here. If, when you're thinking about Christian parenting, if your first thought or your controlling primary thought on parenting is something like this, I want this for my kids. I have some bad news for you. If that's your first controlling thought about parenting, you are completely missing the point of what it means to be a Christian mom or dad. This is not first and foremost about your children at all. This is about you. This is about what kind of person you are. This is about you living out the reality of your salvation in the presence of God. Because repeatedly, over and over and over again, Scripture is making the point as it speaks to parents, you seal these things in your heart. You make sure that you know these things, that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Then and only then does the whole issue of parenting come up, and that's obvious just from the sequence of thought that we consistently see played out in the, in the Word of God. And so, oh, beloved, this is so important. Your first priority as a Christian parent is not that your children would be obedient. It's not even, your first priority is not even that your children would be godly. That is not your first priority, however important it may be. Your first priority is that you would be godly. Because that is the that is the entryway to everything else in Christian parenting. Somehow you and I need to be people who are 
who are receiving and responding to God's word. You and I somehow need to be people who are praying. You and I somehow need to be people who are faithful in a local church. This is, this, these are the fundamentals of, of Christian godliness. And so what that means is, is that before you consider your children and what you want to do to shape and, and mold your children, you don't start there until you've first examined yourself and made your own godliness the surpassing priority of your own personal life. The parent that does that, let me put it this way, the children who live under the, the realm of parents like that are going to naturally have the overflow of a spirit-filled life affecting and influencing them. But to try to have the Spirit's influence in your children and bypass your own godliness, this does not compute. That's like trying to run a blender without it being plugged into the wall. And so the realm of parenting is the whole nature of the course of life. Now, with those things said, then we can talk about some of the more practical aspects of Christian parenting. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 here. And I've got three hours for each message, right? So we'll be done by 9 o'clock tonight. I think that's the way this works. Point number two here from Ephesians chapter 6, Paul next addresses the, the restraint on parenting, what we, what we want to call the restraint on parenting. Now, in the first three verses of chapter 6, Paul had commanded children how to honor their parents. Verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. goes back to the Ten Commandments, verse 2. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, so the children are placed in a position of submission and obedience to their parents, and part of your parenting is to to teach them that and to cultivate that so that they would learn to honor you as parents. If they can learn that, then they're in the home. They'll learn how to honor society and honor their employers later on. But it all starts in the Christian home. But in the, the remarkable balance of Scripture, Paul now guards family life from imbalance or abuse. If he had just stopped at verse 3, it would be easy for fathers to take that place as where God never intended it to go. And so he immediately places a restraint on parents, on fathers, with his next command that comes from verse 4. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, this tells us that we need to know not only what to do, but also what not to do. And he starts with this negative command, do not provoke your children. Now, I, I grew up under a, under a non-Christian father. My dad was not a believer. He made no pretense about being a Christian. And, and he, was a, he was a harsh man, and people who knew him found him to be kind of difficult to live with. And it was his way or the highway, as, as they say. And that's what I knew about parenting as I was growing up. You just kind of assume that that's the way it is everywhere. To, to be introduced to scripture and Christian parenting was a revelation to me. Here's what I want to say about that. You may be the dad in the home, but that does not mean that you get to do just whatever you want to do and that you have this unbridled, unrestrained authority to do absolutely anything that you want or to forbid whatever you want and that there is no restraint on you whatsoever. That is not Christian parenting. That is not a Christian father. And that is not what Scripture says. Whatever else we say about 
the meaning of this phrase, what I want you to see is, is that God places a restraint on fathers that shows that they themselves are under authority and that their actions are guided and restrained by the word of God itself. You do not have, you do not have unlimited authority. You are parenting your children under the authority of God in obedience to God And God says, here are some things, or here is one thing in particular, that you must not do. And what, men, what God forbids you from is from a pattern of life, a pattern of conduct that irritates your children. Your children are protected by God from your inclination to irritate them. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, you don't need to turn there, it's a parallel passage. But in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, he says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Let's be practical here in the way that we work this out, shall we? What kinds of things provoke and exasperate children? Well, let me maybe illustrate from my own failures over 30 years of parenting, shall we? First of all, we need to be mindful as Christian parents not to be harsh in our rules and disciplines. Don't set your children up to fail by giving them all kinds of multiplied rules that they have to obey, and then if they fail, you quickly reach for your belt or whatever instrument of correction that you use. That's terribly exasperating. Those of you that are in employment, you you can understand this. You don't like to be micromanaged in your your job. You don't like a boss that, that has all kinds of rules and immediately criticizes you at the first instance of, of, of a misstep from you. Well, how much more the tender, soft, Uh, vulnerable hearts of your children who don't even have the physical, don't even have physical equality with you. I mean, when you stand over them, you've got a three or four foot, and some some of your, uh, for some of you, you've got a four foot height advantage over this. Well, you need to be mindful to restrain that and to not use your, your position or your physical power to intimidate them or to be harsh with them. They are tender. They are, they are vulnerable, and you take that into account. And so discipline, need, you need to be restrained in your discipline. Secondly, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that you know, this was a pattern of my parenting. I don't mean it this way that way because I really don't think it was but there are you know there are times you look back and say I could have done that better but secondly don't ignore your children and don't mock them you God's word restrains you from that kind of treatment of your children don't criticize your children when they've done their best to please you if they've done their best to please you love them and affirm them even if it's not what you wanted even if you know, you got a young son mowing the grass and he missed a third of it. You know? Dads, don't let maybe later be your standard response when they want your time or attention. These are the things that just irritate and provoke a little child's heart. You never, you never, you never say yes. You're so harsh on me. Not that the kid can express it this way, but don't, don't use your position to, in such a selfish way that you simply get to be undisturbed and you get to do whatever you want. That's not Christian parenting to push your child off into the corner and exasperate them in that way. These are some of the ways that we provoke them to anger. You need to, we need to get down and, and literally sometimes bend down to their level so that we're looking at them eye to eye and dealing with them at their level of life. And to make another really important point here, 
that is true of all of leadership, biblically, not simply of parenting. But if God has given you a position of authority and a position of a position of authority and a position of of, of stature or leadership, the right word is escaping my mind right now. Understand this. God has given you that position of authority so that you can be a blessing to those that are under your authority. It is not for you to get what you want or to have whatever you want in life. Men, if you're the head of your household, God hasn't given you that position so that it can be all the way that you want it to be. God has given you position and authority and and physical strength even so that you can secure an environment that is a blessing to those that are under your authority. This is true of bosses, it's true of spiritual leadership, it's true of parents. True, True of people in social, secular leadership as well. And so this is the way that we are to view things. If you think about Christ, isn't that exactly what he did for you, for me? Here he is in his regal position as the second person of the Trinity, reigning from heaven, and what does he do? Speaking figuratively here, he lays his robes aside and comes down to earth and uses the authority and the position that he had in order to secure for us the blessing of our salvation. And he did at, the, at personal cost what no one else could do for us. He had the authority that no one else could have made him do that. John 10 says he did it voluntarily. Well, that understanding of how Christ used his authority gives us a perspective on how to use ours as parents as well. So we see the realm of parenting, the restraint on parenting. We need to be mindful that we don't provoke these children to anger. And thirdly, let's just look at the positive responsibility of parenting. The responsibility of parenting. Paul has given a negative command, do not provoke your children to anger. Now he gives a positive command by way of contrast. You see the contrast there with the word but. Don't do this, but by way of contrast, do this instead. What is it that we do instead? We bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, there's just so many ways that we go off track on this. And if, if parenting does nothing else, it's a tutor for us. The realm of parenting is a tutor for us of how much we ourselves need the grace of God because we all stumble in so many ways, even in our parenting. James says we stumble in many ways as a general principle, and the, 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 the reality for us is, if we're honest with each other, without being too transparent, is that we all stumble in many ways in our own parenting. Well, that's humbling, but it also conditions us to look to Christ for grace and for forgiveness. All of that to preface what I'm about to say here is that, and, and we men often need to hear something like this in particular. Parenting is more than providing for the financial and physical well-being of your children. That's part of it, but in some ways it's incidental to that. Our ability to provide for our families financially is sometimes subject to influences that are beyond our control. We get laid off, we lose our job, things change, and we don't have the ability to provide necessarily in the way that we would like to do. But that's just incidental. That's almost secondary. And it's not, it's not enough to say, well, I, I provided for them and therefore I did my job. No, biblically, that's not it at all. Paul doesn't even refer to financial matters here in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, fathers, here's your responsibility. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. God is charging you, commanding you, to bring your children up in a particular kind of way, that there is to be a unique perspective in the environment of your home that flavors every moment of life. 
even if it's not consciously being discussed at, the particular, at a particular time. The word bring up here in the New American Standard didn't ever, it never occurred to me. Do you preach out of the NASB or ESV? NASB. So you're used to the NASB. That's good. That saves me a lot of, uh, of trouble. Bring up is the same word that's translated nourish in verse 29 of chapter 5. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Well, this word bring up, it's a different relational context, so I guess they translated it a little bit differently. But God is calling you to seek your child's maturity by training, instructing, and warning him in the ways of Christ. There is to be this Christian mindset in your parenting that says, I have, this, I have these little lumps of clay in front of me to shape and to mold into what the Lord would have them to be. That's not to say that you can convert them by the power of your own will exercised on theirs. You can't do that. You don't have that ability. There is no scriptural promise that, that every child of believing parents will grow up to be a believer himself. That's just the sad reality. And the sooner we embrace that and accept that, the whole lot better everybody's going to be off to be. Because then worry and, worry and manipulation are kind of lose their force. But here's what I want to say in this context about the responsibility of parenting, beloved is this, is that scripture presupposes that you understand that your children need direction, that your children, sh that there is, <laughs> that your children are depraved sinners, even when they're cute, that your children, if left to their own devices, the evil that is resident in their heart will dominate and take root and, and, and take them in a life direction that is not good. And so, your children are born with sinful hearts. Your children have angry tempers or lazy hearts or selfish desires or disobedient dispositions or any number of things. I know some of you have multiple children like we do. We have six. They're all grown, they're all grown now. But every child has a way of manifesting the sinful disposition with which he was born. Your child, no one needed to teach your child to lie when he was in trouble. No one, no one taught him to throw a tantrum when he didn't get what he wanted. They know that instinctively because that's what they're born with. And by the way, where did they get their heart from? Where did they get their life from? They got it from you, right? You and your spouse... You produce this. Sinners beget sinners. And so God is calling you to train them not to leave them to their own devices so that whatever else we say and however you do it in practical ways, your job as a parent in bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is somehow to communicate to them the absolute authority of Scripture, to teach them the fear of God, which is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, and to teach them those things so that they have a sense of what their place in God's world is. You have the right and you have the responsibility to teach your children to honor you, this is, not, this is not optional for them. They are commanded by God to honor you, and it is your position to enforce that upon them. Not without provoking them, but gently over time showing them that they will honor you. You teach them about sin, their need to repent, their need to receive Christ, to be saved from sin and damnation. And in a statement that may one day be forbidden for us by the authorities to make, especially as toddlers, that will require corporal discipline. They need to be spanked 
when they are disobedient because pain on the bottom corrects foolishness in the heart. Now, someone might say, especially those influenced by the world's view on these things, but won't that make them angry? Won't, won't I be provoking them? Will, will they still like me? Well, beloved, you'll be just fine if you exercise discipline in a controlled way, a constructive way, rather than punishing them in anger gotten in your way. You just need to be calm and collected, and you can. There is a way to discipline children in a calm way rather than striking out in retaliation against them for their behavior. And so that's kind of the responsibility there. And we've, and obviously I've, I've spoken primarily thinking about younger children in, in the discussion here. Let me say something about corporal discipline and, uh, as, it goes, as, it, as it goes further on just because I think this little extension of application might be helpful. I, I have a friend, none of you would know him. And this goes back a few decades now, the discussion that we have. But, but my friend who meant well had a teenage son. And when I say teenage, I mean like 16 or 17 years old who was somehow being disobedient and manifesting different things in his life that, needed to be, that legitimately needed to be corrected. My friend, a, a Christian friend, chose in that time, he, he, said, he said, look, son, I'm going to spank you. Pull your pants down. I'm going I'm to spank you. And so he got his belt out, and he spanked his teenage son. I want to tell you that's not the way to go. There comes a point in life where you're no long, corporal discipline is no longer an appropriate way to do it. And for a father to, to spank a young man and to humiliate him like that, as a young man old enough to drive, that is, not, that is, that is exactly what Scripture is saying. Do not provoke your children to anger. You have to realize that there comes a point where there's a transition point where corporal punishment is no longer appropriate and you have to deal with them in a different in a different way. And you know, and there's just certain matters in my opinion of common sense and wisdom that make that obvious. And so we just need to remember that even as you're thinking about corporal discipline that you don't provoke them to anger. In my in my life and my family with five daughters, there came a point pretty early on in their development where I refused to spank them. I did not spank them and have them, you know, and, and subject my daughters to that from me. And it was, it, you know, and that, that was a place for their mother at that point because they had reached a level of growth and maturity where it was not, I did not think it was appropriate for me as a dad to be administering discipline to their bottom. Now, I'm not setting down rules for any of you. I'm just wanting to stimulate in your thinking that we need to be mindful of this. And what was appropriate for your child that, that was two is not the same as when that child is 10. You have to adjust your parenting in these things as you go along and as your children, as your children grow. And so, for whatever that's worth, let me just close this session with this. And this is for, for earnest, sincere parents who genuinely love their children. I just need to emphasize this. This is, this is hard, and I've already said it multiple times. You cannot guarantee the conversion of your child. But you can instill God's word in their hearts and pray to God that your heavenly Father would use that in his grace in their lives. Now, if you're like me and you grew up and you didn't have a great example as a father teaching you these things, or if you're like me and you've had your own failures along the way in your parenting, you quickly come to this question in light of these things. You have these precious souls that have been in, entrusted to your care. You're accountable to God for how you deal with them. And we stumble all over the place in our responsibilities here. And you're led to this question. 
is adequate for these things? What parent doesn't feel the weight of his failures or even just his squandered opportunities? And this is where the gospel is such good, precious news. Don't consider this, apart from what we talked about last night, the eternal, sovereign, great, sacrificial love of God to realize that Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, he died even for your sinful parenting. He has grace on you even in your parenting failures. And even where you have failed God in your parenting, his, his grace has covered even that so that we learn these things and we accept these things not from a position of, of fearful guilt, but in grateful humility that God has been gracious to us even when we failed in something so important like this. Christ died even for your sinful parenting. Your heart can be at rest even if your parenting is basically finished. Now, I know that there are a lot of you here with children still at your knees, right? Some of you with children still in your arms. That's pretty sweet and special. Let me just give you a word of counsel and advice, especially for those of you that did not come from a Christian home like I did. I did not come from a Christian home. I've made that plain. But why not repeat myself? What What my encouragement to you would be that I had to learn early on is to set your course in Christian parenting by God's word, not by what you saw in your dad. Maybe your dad meant well, maybe your dad didn't care, but but let God's word be your standard rather than simply trying to replicate what your unsaved father did. Part of your your opportunity as a first-generation Christian is to, to learn from the start, to learn fresh what Christian parenting is, and to set a pattern that will be a blessing to generations to come from the loins of of, of your, from, from your progeny, from your children and grandchildren. You have the opportunity to set a pattern for them that will continue for generations, but it starts with coming to God's word and setting it, setting it new. That's a great opportunity. Your parenting has an opportunity to be a blessing to generations beyond you, to be a blessing to generations that will be living long after you're gone into heaven yourself. And so, I would also just say, keep course when progress is slow. We had one child. We had one child where, in our, in our early days, I thought we were actively thinking that maybe I'm going to have to give up the pursuit of ministry the way this child is going. And day to day and week to week, there was no progress that seemed to be made the anger and the violence that was coming out of this child was just remarkable, almost frightening in a sense. And it learned for, it taught us to measure progress not by day to day or week to week, but six months, 12 months. It's a little bit better than it was six months ago. That's okay. You just stay the course, even if progress is slow. And for those of you, I know there are many of you here, like me, where your children do know the Lord. They have come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And you see them manifesting the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, and they're, they're moving in that right direction. Well, if your children know the Lord, you do this. You call yourself an unworthy servant and give thanks to God for His mercy. God, you had mercy on those that are dearest to me, just like you had mercy on me. Thank you, Lord. I know I didn't produce that change in their heart. I know if it had simply been a matter of the outworking of my failures, they would not have ended up in this place. So, God, thank you for your mercy, not only on me, but on these that that I love, that are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And those of you who have unsaved children, despite your best efforts, Don't stop praying. Final chapter hasn't been written yet. I was saved as an adult. You were saved as an adult, right? 
a lot of us who came to saving faith, a lot of us, Christ saved a lot of us a little later in life, in our 20s, maybe our 30s. Well, if your children are in that realm, that's okay. Look, look, God isn't done. His arm is not so short now that it can't save them there. And so you just keep praying and trusting God, trusting this God who has made himself known as a God of, of eternal, sovereign, great, infinite, sacrificial love, calling out and praying to him to have mercy on the ones that you love most and trust him for what he does. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would have mercy and grace on our families. We pray that you would help us be the dads and moms that you would have us to be. We pray for those little ones that are represented by their parents in this room. Oh, we could name them so easily, the, the ones whose, whose names and whose lives are imprinted on the very fibers of our heart that we love so much, for some even grandchildren that fit in that category. Lord, we realize that they are eternal souls and we commit them all to your care. And we pray that to whatever extent we have influence on them, Father, you would do your perfect work through our imperfect lives to lead those children, some that are adults, some that are mere babes, but that you would do a work to lead them all to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.